Hello and welcome back to Accidentally Starting a Food Business by Condomaniac. It's been a little while since we have made a podcast. What is our excuse? Been busy. (laughs) It's not really an excuse. I mean, being busy. We have been busy. I'm not lying in that sense, but um, I don't know if that's really an excuse. I think we've been busier than we thought for January. We thought for sure after Christmas it's going to dry up a little bit and we're going to have some time. And that is not what happened, which we're very grateful for. But yeah, that's the best excuse I think we have. We've just actually been working all the weekends and it's been it's been great, but it's been a lot of work. Also, before we start into the topic of this podcast, we should open our dr- respective drinks yeah. for some sounds. Get some ASMR going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you drinking? Stella. I'm drinking a Thatcher's Gold. Not my favourite. Thatcher's Haze is the best Thatcher's mm. cider. And the best cider is Aspel's. Let's just, okay, just get that clear. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Well, today's episode is something that I personally feel pretty passionately about, and that's developing recipes. And, and actually bringing it, the product. Bringing the product to market. So from the idea through to it actually being a physical, real thing that you can eat or hold in your hands if you're another co- company that doesn't make foodstuffs. Um, so we were actually talking about this off mic and arguing a little bit. So <laughs> let's bring the argument into the podcast. I feel quite strongly that when I am generating a recipe for a sauce, that I should never bring practical considerations in to the generating of the idea and the recipe. Because the recipe should be first delicious, and and then later on you're just going to have to work out how to make it a product that you can mass produce well not necessarily mass produce we make small batch hot sauce anyway but make more of than one (laughs) i i fundamentally do agree with that i just think that we've been burned by this before so before this podcast we were in our unit this morning for for three or four hours making sirens island which is probably our sauce that we talked we talked about this before but it's that sauce that's the hardest to make that we make and it came from the fact that you really wanted to make a mango hot sauce Mm -hmm. and i think it took like six or seven iterations of sirens island to actually be sirens island and the version that we have now is just really hard to make because it's over 50 percent mango um, we have to. We can't use the machine cut whatever mango that you can buy pre-cut because we just find it doesn't taste as good. No. Nope. So we have to cut our own fresh mangoes that we buy, and it's very labor-intensive. Um, the sauce itself yeah. has loads of turmeric in it, which stains absolutely everything, and it's quite thick. It's hard to pour. And then it had the audacity to go and win an award. I know, which actually <laughs> is slightly annoying. <laughs> you know, I mean, very grateful for the award, but it just means that we're now sell, we're selling more of it than ever. And it's just quite evident it's extremely hard to scale production of this sauce without compromising on the taste. So my point is kind of, yes, the the first recipe or the first idea, I think, should always be without 
in mind that you want to scale it. But if you make a product that's great, but you can't scale it, then in return, it means you just can't really share it with people. So there isn't really that much value in it anymore. Well, I don't know. I disagree. <laughs> I, I just think if you make something that's awesome, but it's really hard to make, make it limited edition or make it really expensive. Well, but... Um, Maybe we just need to make Sirens Island more expensive. Maybe. I mean... And less people will buy it, or people will still buy it, but it'll be worth all those mangoes that we have to peel. Maybe. It's just it's just a question of time spent. I just sometimes feel like we could do a lot more with the time that we spend specifically on Sirens Island on something else. But it might also be because I personally... Don't like str- it. I, don't, I wouldn't say I don't like it. I really struggle with some of the spices in it, because... I, I'm just not big on cumin. You're a baby. No, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I, don't, I actually quite like it, like for what it is. Um, but yeah, I actually deliberately made Siren's Island recipe minus one of the elements of curry, so that you would like it. Oh, that's nice. I didn't. And know you that. still don't like it? No, I like it. I just it's just not the first. That's why I house, never I mean. got just curry powder. Oh. I chucked it in there. Interesting. That's why we we have all of the individual ingredients because i can't remember there's something in curry powder you don't like i think it's fennel or something oh i don't like most things yeah yeah so <laughs> rather than just getting curry powder and putting it in there good quality curry powder which would be much yeah. easier oh well it's 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 been growing on me a lot so at first i really struggled with it because cumin and uh, turmeric are like two things i really 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 don't like but I'm, I'm getting better i unfortunately also have that really annoying gene that means that you can taste the true taste of coriander which means that it just tastes like a piece of soap, mm. which really, really, really sucks because I would love to Delicious like it. Delicious soap. Yeah, no. I love coriander. But I think, yeah, so the point I'm making is really just that we, we, we're at a point with our, one of our products where we would like to scale it because there is demand for it, but we're being held back by the original recipe, which yeah. we kind of can't change because it's been certified delicious by the Guild of Fine Food. Mm. Well, I think back to the point of do you do you start with practical considerations? You know, I think I don't think anything's black and white. You can some, for example, we have set out to make a sauce that's simple, we but did not that before, but not for the cute. reason. <laughs> well, not for the reason that we want it to be uh, easy or profitable to make, but because we wanted it to flavor-wise so be quite clean. Yeah. So one of the new two new sources that we just pulled together, this pretty much sums up the argument, doesn't it? The one that I developed involved about ten ingredients, one of which is Difficult. grilled, burnt corn, <laughs> uh, and yours had about five ingredients. Yeah, but I mean, equally it, delicious. Yeah, but I, I feel like this is not quite fair because the way that we should talk about the way that we came up with these two sauces, it was basically we were just talking about it one night. Yeah. We were like, we need, we really want need to bring out some more sauces. Like, what are some flavor combinations that might work? And actually, to my credit, the whole sweet corn thing came from my brain. Yeah, it did. So, what did it? It did. Did it? Yes. Oh. I can't believe you. <laughs> um, I well, I, that's an, another interesting point, I guess. How how to have the first idea? So, oh, I mean, with us, we 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 were just sitting there on the sofa, weren't we, in the front room, trying to think of interesting flavors that go together. 
I mean, what else do you consider when you're trying to when you're trying to have an idea for a for I a mean, product? I think a lot about cooking. I think that's how we always worked. Like both Smoky Dragon and Seance are basically like a really good tomato, not soup, but like a like a pasta sauce almost, mm. just not with the Italian flavors. But we kind of approached it like we were making a really nice sauce for cooking. Yeah, and then just intensify all the flavors we added to make it a condiment. Um, so Sirens Island, we always say it's like a curry in a bottle, like a mango mm. curry chutney thing in a bottle. Pretty much. And and that's how, I, at least I do, I don't know how about do you. you. Do you, when you're thinking of it, do you consider how, um, or, pardon me, do you consider how original it is? As in, like, do you consider whether other people have done it loads? Um, I, I, it would be a lie to say not at all, but then, like, when we did um, Sirens Island, which is mango and habanero, we weren't aware that it was such a common thing. Like, now, it's to me, it's, like, one of the most common combinations. But that's... We didn't know at the time. It might have put us off. It might have not. But we just didn't know. So when I think about, like, a new source now, if I have just seen something loads, I probably wouldn't think of doing it myself as much but yeah. I, I don't deliberately go oh what's the weirdest thing we could do that no one's ever done i guess it's one of many considerations isn't it because you you don't you don't think oh yeah i want to make something that no one else has ever made because <laughs> nearly everything has been done it's like music like nowadays in 2021 there's almost no point kind of being like oh i'm going to create a new genre because really there's only so many notes in the western scale and they've been put in most orders that they can be put in by now most genres have been explored unless you're making just noise you're not really going to invent something completely new which is maybe putting a a different spin on something that already exists or doing something better than yeah, anyone else I has done before. You need to consider if there is like a need and want for the product. Yeah. So if you think there is already an amazing, don't know, whatever source, then maybe you wouldn't feel like you wanted to add another one to the market. But if you felt like, oh, I know that this source exists, but I think we could do a better job, then maybe we would maybe do a spin, like a spin off version of yeah. that. I think there's also a risk trying to do something that no one else has done because it's, especially with food, it's not like you can patent it as easily as other stuff. No, you can patent recipes, specific recipes. <laughs> but, um, I remember when I tried to make that, I actually did a test of that black sauce, mm-hmm. which was actually quite tasty, but um, it was really, really thick. And, I was, and, then, and then another hot sauce company like released a black sauce almost straight away and I was like oh I kind of went off it because I was like well that's that idea yeah that was another example of something extremely unscalable very expensive had black garlic in it had black garlic it had squid ink black those peppers what are they called again oh they were great that's why I made it actually that that so that was a real reason they're they're called like royal blacks yeah. Royal black chilies, and they're like these little ball black. He is currently chilies. holding his hand up, showing the sizes. If you guys can oh, see yeah. it, it's like a little ball. <laughs> if you can see that, guys, a little ball of chili, and it's shiny and black. So when I went to Cornwall last year to check out the chili farm, um, I was just really excited by those. So I went and tried to make a black sauce. It was, you know, it was, it was tasty. But uh, yeah, someone else 
beat me to the punch. Yeah, and I don't think it was, you know, it tasted good, but we weren't like, oh my god, like the world needs oh, yeah. this. It was, it was good, but it wasn't, oh my god, this is our new sauce. Yeah, so, uh, okay, right, so I guess coming up with the idea then, what else do we do? We just sit there and just think about flavour combinations. That yeah, so we do it kind of in our in our brain, which I don't know, I don't, I doubt many people do it like that. I think a lot of people just go into a kitchen with loads of ingredients and then start... Try stuff out. Yeah, whereas we literally do it all in our head. We just say, oh, what about a sauce based on, like, mandarins? Oh, mandarin, oh, that would go well with star anise, or I don't know. So we just yeah. sit there and we, like, go up over things that we've eaten that had combinations that we liked and then... or seasonings as well because obviously we do those as well all condiments i was yeah. thinking the other day actually with sauces it's kind of easier in a way because um we have our structure i guess like base heat and character yeah so all of our i think we mentioned it in a previous podcast all of our sauces kind of take those three things into consideration um Pardon me, I keep burping because I'm drinking Stella. Um, so uh, we can start with deciding what the base sort of flavour is and then we kind of decide how hot we want it to be. And then character is really like the thing that makes it stand apart, the sort of, I guess, headline flavour. So with um, seance, it's like Moroccan flavours and with um, QB, it's like East Asian is it East Asian? Yeah, that was right. You were looking at me as if I got it wrong. East no. Asian in Kubi. No, well, yeah, Far East. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Are you looking at me as if I, I'm going to get cancelled because I said <laughs> East Asian? <laughs> I was like, oh, what have I done now? No, because yeah, you, you sometimes mix them up. But um, Sirens Island is South Asian. Yeah, yeah, and Kubi's East Asian. Far East Asian. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. So, yeah, I guess that's how, how we kind of think about it. Yeah. Um, and then we write it down on a list, and then we... It's actually become a bit easier now because we've been doing the custom hot sauce, so I have a bit of a, like, a almost a cheat sheet in my head of rough kind of ratios that are needed for different kinds of things when I'm trying to put together a sauce. Yeah. Um, we don't try every single custom sauce, we just can't because sometimes like especially before christmas there were days where we made like 20 a day and some of them are extremely hot oh yeah so we do we don't try that in the beginning we did and we still sometimes when we have one that we'll sounds spot check yeah that sounds really interesting we might we might try it but um also a lot of the things like repeat now they never repeat exactly usually but like oh, yeah. the the same kind of idea is coming about which is normal but um, yeah, I think especially in the beginning, it was really interesting to see some combinations that we wouldn't have ever done. But then we kind of got to see like what the consistency would be like, what the color would be like, just yeah. like what it would be like, which is very helpful. Taught us a lot. So what do we do after that? We sat on the sofa, we've written down yeah. some ideas, then we go into the kitchen. Yeah. And then we, I mean... We, we did it did we do it last weekend yeah yeah last weekend well we each took one sauce so we took kind of ownership Kia likes to now think that he invented his but you know it was me <laughs> what do you mean I invented everything Jen of course anyway we take ownership of one sauce each usually because that's just easier than trying to do both together and then yeah I think we just we have a little book that we really need to we need to have a digital version like 
when we do it. But we have a little book that we've had from the beginning <clears throat> where we just write down all the measurements. So we can au- auction it when we're when we're a huge deal. <laughs> no, because it has all our recipe in it. So <laughs> what do you really do? But we do have like a, a rough idea of like how much vinegar we need. So we try and make like one or two bottles when we when we do the experiment. Try and end up with like 500 mils or something of the new test sauce. Yeah. And then it's just, yeah, trial and error. So I think it's actually important to do more than, more than one bottle. Try aim for at least like three of whatever thing you're going to do. Because if you do too small a batch when you're testing or in the test kitchen, you end up um, it, scaling it up is difficult because because the quantities are so small that they don't multiply out in the same yeah. way. If you've got like one gram of coriander, it might, with this kind of scales, unless you've got a super, super Like a letter scale. scale. We need to get one. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be tough to kind of actually... Is it one gram or is it like 1.8 grams? And it actually, when you multiply up, it's yeah. like supposed to be 20. But That's actually another thing we learned recently. Well, not recently. We always knew this, but when you scale up your recipes... They don't just multiply. So it's not like mm. when you make five bottles, um, your recipe changes when you make 50 and then it changes again when you make 100 or when you make 200. You can't just keep multiplying it by the bottles because of water retention. Yeah, that's a whole a whole new thing that we've only just begun properly being able to wrestle with because we're doing enough big, bigger batches to warrant having to <laughs> try and work it out. Yeah, but I, I did did some the other day, and it seemed to work quite well. Tweaking the recipe, basically, the concept is that the bigger the batch you do of a sauce, at least, uh, the more water it will retain if you're cooking your sauces like we do. So, and even with non-cooked sauces, it's not just a simple matter of multiply everything by the same amount. Um, the flavor actually dilutes as you make a bigger batch so you need to compensate for that by adding more seasonings and more and things like that to make the keep the flavor awesome yeah and not all by the same amount so some seasonings might come out stronger whereas others don't yeah so it's kind of complicated but basically the best advice i can give you try your recipes at every stage yeah always yeah whether it's three bottles or 50 or 100 or 200 make sure you're always trying them yeah always try your sauce even if we we when we make flying fox we always dread it because yeah because it's really ha- you have to you just have to got to do it it's uh, it's a tough job yeah someone's got to try the super hot sauce yeah. when we get there so we're in the test kitchen going yes. through this chronologically so i can kind of give people the full immersive experience <laughs> of developing a product of condomaniac uh we're in a test kitchen we've done it we've got this idea in our head from the custom hot sauce we we have a taste yeah which i usually so uh, i mean i didn't really watch you because i was doing my own one but i just put it, things in from like feeling pretty much so i know how much tomato is in seance for example so if i did a tomato based sauce i would base it on the seance recipe we already have for the sauce I was making I was using raspberries as a base and I kind of tried to think about um, Sirens Island so I think I tried to put like half of the whole recipe to be raspberries just to have a base and then we always pretty much use the same vinegar so we're quite familiar with how much to use there and then really just keep tasting it it's kind of difficult because the taste will change once you blitz it up 
but it gives you a good idea. And then something that we do as well is once we blitz our sauce, we put a little bit in a dish and then put it in the fridge mm-hmm. because that really changes the taste as well. Yeah, when it's cold, it's very different t- the flavor when it's cold as to when it's just just been cooked. Another thing is which I'm very bad at because I like adding loads of flavor to things is add flavors and seasonings gradually. Yeah. So don't just do what I do and usually chuck loads of something in because it's much more difficult. Well, it's impossible to take it out once it's in. Yeah, you have to dilute it. <laughs> but it's easier to it's easier to to uh, add more. Yes. Put it that way. So don't be me <laughs> if you're going to try out a hot sauce. You want to make some at home. Add little bits until you get the flavour that you want. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have happy accidents and it actually works out. Yeah. But most of the time, we do. he does this thing that we call um, cinnamon roll. It's, it's from, like, years ago, he made this tomato sauce and he just kept adding sugar and cinnamon to it. Yeah. And in the end, it literally just tasted like a glazed cinnamon bun with some tomato. So every time he melts I just naturally like things sweet. <laughs> yeah. I like things sweet and I like things to have a really punchy flavour and I think and if that usually that's cinnamon for some reason I do like cinnamon things although we don't actually have cinnamon in any of our sauces yet which is interesting mm-hmm. um, but yeah don't don't be me but that's why I think I was born to make condiments because if there's one thing that you can cook that you're allowed to overdo it it's condiments because they're supposed to have yeah, really really true. big flavours but it is a fine balancing act any any recipe you need to balance sweet with, I'm sure any chefs out there will know, but you need to balance sweet with savoury and salty and bitterness with sourness and all these different flavours rather than one being too overpowering. Otherwise, it can end up being a bit one-dimensional. Yeah, you want it to be like satisfying. And what I find important is that it has to be like Moorish and you want to eat it straight out of the bottle. So one of the sauces we currently are making turned out great. The only problem with it is that it's a bit too heavy on the lime juice currently, mm-hmm. which makes it slightly, um, makes makes you pull a face pretty much when you eat too much of it. Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges I actually find making hot sauce or any vinegar based product is... You, because we've got another made it. We, we like making it difficult for ourselves. We don't add water to any of our products, so uh, and we refuse to because we're just purists like that. So the only liquid thing that goes in is the natural liquids from whatever fruit or base it is, and uh, and the vinegar. But vinegar is a strong flavour and it's quite sour, so it's sometimes really difficult to be able to get the right consistency without the sauce being too heavy on the vinegar. Yeah. Um, which is what I'm struggling with this one because it's, uh, like I said, it's got corn in it. So uh, It doesn't sound very appealing when you say it oh, like mate, that. It's delicious. You're going to love it when, <laughs> when you actually get there. Think but, um, Mexican salsa kind of thing. Yeah, it's got corn in it. And because um, corn is quite uh, fibrous, when it's blended up, you need a good amount of liquid in order to be able to balance out the fibre. And, um, and yeah, so I'm trying to I'm trying to wrestle with that at the moment. I think I'll need to try that in the next iteration. So, you know, if you're lucky, I guess at this point, you can have a miracle happen, like Smoky Dragon, and uh, it just turns out perfect first time. 
or you have a nightmare like Siren's Island and you end up going through about seven different versions of the source. <laughs> but yeah, from that point, right. So say we've got we've got the recipe now. We're happy with it. Written in our little book. We're happy with it. What do we do then? Then we do the thing that I think most people would do first thing, what we talked about earlier, is um, how the hell do we actually get all the ingredients on a regular basis and on a good supply (laughs) chain in enough quantity to actually produce this on a slightly bigger scale? Yeah, there is that. And that can be a challenge. I'm still wondering how how I'm going to do this this corn-based sauce that I've talked about. But hey, that'll be an interesting thing to come to wrestle with um yeah, yeah so for us it's been chilies a lot yeah chilies are sometimes difficult because we use fresh chilies and it's uh depending on the time of year obviously in the england the british chili season runs from about july to about november december so it's not well it's not even half of the year so it's um yeah it's pretty sometimes it's pretty difficult getting what you're getting what you need in the sauce yeah and we did that so even when we did smoky dragon we didn't approach it with like this mindset of oh how can we scale this so we ended up using komodo dragon chilies Mm -hmm. which now turned out oh actually kind of difficult to get they are yeah (laughs) we've we've actually literally just had to place an order like we're getting those grown specifically for us so that we can uh yeah, but this is the first year that's been possible. And then also, funnily enough, we used to use Serrano chilies for basically all of our sauces. And that turned out to be one of the hardest chilies to get throughout the year in the UK as yeah. well. Yeah. So we used to literally hunt down uh, which supermarkets were currently buying Serenade, which is like, I think, another strain of Serrano. Mm-hmm. Serenade chilies, which is quite a few. So I think name dropping Waitrose um, is one of the ones that buys Serenade. So for the best part of 20, well, last year, mm-hmm. we were literally driving, driving around different supermarkets every trying day. to buy trying. And then they come in these tiny, I really, my heart bled for the environment because of these tiny plastic bags, bags that yeah. come in. But we were just, we were just short of them all the time. So we were literally driving around every single day, just clearing the shelves. Yeah. And then we, well, at least we discovered that... <laughs> After a while, that red bullet chilies were another very similar strain of the Serrano family. Yeah. But much more common. Similar heat, similar They flavor. taste, to me, they taste the they same. They taste the same, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's probably a few chili aficionados that are like going, no, they don't. But, uh, well, Scott S. Cornish Chilies told us that they're very, very Oh, they are. Well, and also, I tried them when I was there. Yeah, I tried them. Because I went, I went to Cornish Chilies to get some Serrano, and then actually bullet chilies are bigger which make them a lot easier to use as well. So um, I I tried them when I was there raw, yeah. about as fresh as it comes. <laughs> fresh from the field. And also we, we made a batch of Smoky Dragon just using Serrano chilies from Cornwall. And it turned out fine, but I actually preferred the batch we made with the bullet chilies. So we have mm, now yeah. pretty much switched to bullet chilies and we're just updating all of our labels. So we have updated them, but we're just using up the rest that we have. Mm. So if they say Serrano, it's probably bullet chilies. They are pretty <laughs> much the same. So Jen, we're going to get taken <laughs> to jail. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't think you even have to declare the type of chili. You could no, just put don't. on it red chili and that would be fine. So yeah. I don't think there is anything wrong with it really so yeah i guess that's the first challenge you have once you've developed your recipe you have to think okay how am i going to make more of this and uh and i guess usually uh, one of our first steps will be to try and buy 
a batch of well a bunch of the material scale it up to a bigger size so usually i start by timesing it by about sort of if i've made three bottles i'll I'll try and aim to make about 50 in a batch yeah. first so that i don't kind of go crazy maybe even less just so that we've got like a smaller batch and see how it scales up make yeah. that try that and then you can gradually kind of graduate up and i think with some of our earlier sources we're at bigger batches that we're happy with now but some of the newer sources we're still doing in very small batches because we want to make sure that all the flavor is staying consistent yeah I think within that is something that we probably take for granted now. But when we very first started to look at bigger batches, we didn't know where to go. Like, where where do you buy kilos of tomatoes? Not in, Like, if you don't just go to the supermarket, is there another... Like, are we too small to approach a wholesaler? Yeah. How do you find a wholesaler? Sometimes you are as well, that's the thing. We didn't so have a car. We didn't have a car <laughs> earlier on, but also... I was under the impression when we first went into food, obviously, you know, we didn't know anything about food. That's the whole point of this podcast. And I just thought wholesalers were loads cheaper than the supermarkets. And you and you realise that actually, in most cases, that's not the case. Yeah. Wholesalers are just, you can buy in bulk. And the supermarkets are actually cheaper because they buy even more and they, they can afford to kind of sell it at a low price. So interestingly, it'd actually be cheaper probably to buy all of our source ingredients from Tesco's, but obviously we can't because you can't buy that much from Tesco's. Yeah, they would probably look at us <laughs> kind probably, of weird. Yeah, they'd kick off a little bit. Um, and then wholesalers, some of them do. So we've just moved to Suma for some of our stuff. Yeah. And we've got a wholesaler local who's amazing. Um, Which we use for like fresh produce. So su- yeah. if, I mean, this is Suma, you can... Google it. It's just a, a wholesaler for mostly like um, I think it's like organic vegan. Yeah, it's like it's their fine. kind of thing, and they do like grains and like vegan specialty things. So they do like shelf stable things. I don't do they do fresh things. I don't. No, not yeah. really. It's all kind of like pantry yeah. items like sugar and salt. Yeah, and so we get all of our spices, all of our like um, a lot of our seasoning ingredients. Our vinegar because they carry um aspal. Yeah. Which um, used to be a nightmare to get. <laughs> but for example, they have a £350 minimum order. Per month. Per month. So you can't even really be a customer of theirs unless you're at a point that you're buying that much. So when you're first starting out, it's actually quite tricky to find a wholesaler that will do your quantities and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and usually when you make your first batch, you will use stuff from the supermarket. But often you can't yeah. then find the same brand yeah. in bulk so then your recipe might you know change again because it tastes slightly different because even brands of like spices can taste slightly different yeah massively different even like you know you can get better quality and worse quality spices and yeah. things like that so, so it's difficult yeah. to keep consistency when you're scaling when you're growing like we were growing we, we were obviously trying our very best to keep everything consistent but as we are now sounds really weird to say slightly bigger Mm -hmm. and we actually you know we we do have a a local wholesaler we get like a lorry to deliver our our stuff to our unit now and even just everything now we buy in much bigger i Mm. mean it's still not huge we don't we don't really buy pallets of glass bottles or anything yet routinely no no i mean we've just bought one 
No, we haven't bought it yet, but we haven't are we? in the process of buying. Oh, they invoiced us. Actually, I need to pay that. <laughs> Here you go. Um, but we don't. We're not at the point yet where everything we buy just comes in a pallet. Like we very much still do get things like. I, d- I doubt we will. Kind of. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll buy bigger quantities, but we'll probably always stay making smaller batches of hot sauce at least. Yeah, I think we we kind of max. Like personally, this might change, but at the moment we feel like we are maxing out at like our two hundred bottles a batch is kind of the biggest. Yeah, that we could do without it. Even I prefer more like one hundred and fifty yeah. probably at the size that we do. Um, and also, it just takes ages. Yeah, <laughs> we get more than that of our size bottles and the amount of stuff that we do. Which we are looking again. at changing our bottles. Well, in, introducing a new size. Yes. Not changing. Talking about the palette, we just. We need to pay yeah, for yeah, that's, that's, true. that's a new bottle delivery. Yeah, new bottle but size. those are things along the way that you just come with the territory. But nothing to do with, well, a little bit actually. The packaging does have something to do with developing it. Yeah, developing yeah. a product. So yeah. anyway, that's next, I guess. Then <laughs> so we've we've made the thing. We've we've managed to source some ingredients, a slightly bigger quantity, whatever that might be. And you know, we buy still buy quite a lot of stuff from Amazon. So always look on Amazon if you can you can get stuff. Um, uh, so yeah, you not endorsing Amazon at all. <laughs> no, just no. have to. It's it's really annoying. I think we we feel like everyone. We feel that Amazon's very evil and you shouldn't buy from them. But also, you know, it it's just very rare that you can be in a position where you never have to. Well, buy There's actually Amazon. some stuff we can't get anywhere else. Yeah, or um, we're trying very hard to like get get our supply chain. What do I call it? Centralized. Because one thing we've mm. learned is it's not. It's not pleasant to having to deal with... Loads of different pe- but people, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, most most of the people we've worked with have been nice, but there are always experiences where it's, like, not great. So whenever we find one kind of supplier for something that we really like, we try and get everything we can from them. Oh, yeah. Like, I've moved most of our... I'm, I'm moving a lot of it off, if Amazon hears. <laughs> I'm moving a lot of it off from Amazon. Um, who was it? Organic something... I basically, I think sometimes you can find stuff on Amazon and then go directly to the supplier and it's actually better. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I can't sit here and say that we'll never use Amazon. We we are because it's the world we live in, but if you can make it make an effort it's also cheaper for you usually because amazon we we know because we sell on amazon as well mm-hmm. we know the kind of fees people pay so when we find something on amazon that we like we will try and find it from someone somewhere else because it usually usually will work out better yeah well yeah so anyway we've got more of the ingredients and then you we were talking about packaging so okay. now you need to put whatever it is you've made into something so for us obviously we buy bottles again locally which is quite nice which we um, didn't do in the beginning didn't do in the beginning <laughs> funny story um, we were we we've always had similar bottles so we've had the square we started with the 250 marascas which is a common type of bottle um and then we moved to 220 mil bottles because they just were loads cheaper and they looked pretty much the same they were just a bit smaller so it was great yeah and then we were in the middle of fulfilling um an order for the prodigy we talked about this before it was quite like for us the still the biggest order we've ever yeah kind of done and right in the middle of shipping that um they just discontinued yeah. our bottle and, and it was gone from like the whole country like the yeah. main manufacturer just stopped making it yeah no notice or anything we still had half of the order to fulfill and there was just no bottle in the same size to be found for quite I was really days. annoyed as well because I'd specifically spoken to a few. We'll, well, we'll do an episode on <laughs> on 
the saga of the bottle industry <laughs> because yeah. I've still got a lot of gripes with the bottle industry because they all seem to be, I don't know, either incompetent or like just not very nice. But um, yeah, there, there was a couple of issues with, and I, I'd asked them ahead of time, like, is the reason these bottles are so cheap that you're that you're clearing stock of them? And they were like, no, 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 we're going to keep keep them in. And then uh, they just lied, basically. Well, or they didn't know. It doesn't really matter, but they weren't very helpful afterwards. We were just like, hey, is it definitely gone? They were just like, I don't know. It's just not in the system anymore. And they didn't really want to look for us. We only needed like another 300 or so. Oh, yeah. and, they but they were nowhere to be found. So we were in a bit of a pickle because... Client had already paid us. We had an outstanding part of the order. And we had to find a similar bottle because they'd already taken the pictures for the website. So Mm -hmm. it had to be a square bottle. It couldn't be smaller because they paid for at least 220 mil. Mm -hmm. And then by some sort of miracle, we found our current bottles, which I think are eight or nine ounces. And that's the reason why we couldn't ever find them. Yeah, eight ounces, um, which is 227 milliliters. And they're very similar shape. The bottle industry, and this is something you find with a lot of these associated industries, is are still operating in 1956. (laughs) And everything's in blinking imperial rather than metric. (laughs) I was was just happy to find them because obviously when you search 220 mil square bottles, they'll never come up because they're called eight ounce something something Mm -hmm. bottles. So once we found those, they were quite a lot more expensive. They still are Mm -hmm. than the bottles we had before. So our margin was now worse. But luckily we could actually get hold of these and we still can get hold of these because for whatever reason they seem to be fine and in stock everywhere but this is a challenge that most people have unless you're using those Worcester bottles because so many people use them and so many different factories make them that I think you'll never struggle to find those but you're at the mercy of manufacturers because unless you can get your own mold made which costs don't know 40 grand 50 grand you will you know, you can't control if they're just discontinuing it with with anything like our glass uh, spice shakers. I'm often worried that they're going to get rid of them because all of our yeah. labels specifically made to fit those. Happens. So, it's, a, it's a thing, but we don't want to get too off track. We'll do an episode on that. No, but a bit of trivia just before we move on is that our current bottles, which are the 8 ounce 227 mil bottles, still all say 220 because we're yeah. still using our old labels, so we've been we've been gifting you 7 mils <laughs> Yeah, you're which, welcome You are so welcome <laughs> But, uh, alright, so you, you need to find, we need to find something for it to go in, that's kind of up to you, I guess there's, like you say, there's a lot of different places but I guess that's something to be considered, like Jen said, think about is, if I'm going <laughs> to really throw a lot behind this product are they going to keep this container whatever kind of container it might be or you know is it is it that rare that it might go out and you'll have to completely re re uh work your entire product line so that's something to be considered yeah and practicality like our size has held us back sometimes because the the, the, our bottles are bigger than the normal hot sauce bottle which means our price looks more expensive if you actually do the maths on the per hundred milliliter price which is something they don't i don't think in the uk you have to display that don't think so in in the eu or well in germany at least you have to have the per hundred milliliter price on every price tag so that you can compare actual prices mm-hmm. um, often we are in line with every other brand it's just because their bottle is smaller it looks 
to be yeah, a lot less. So that's something to think about. Then also think about how will I ship this product? So if you're using glass like us, you have to make sure that it doesn't routinely break. Yeah. Um, you can think about the cost of postage as well. If you can make it flat, it'll obviously be cheaper to post. Yeah, if you can make it lighter, it'll also be better. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> having a little bit more of my beer. Running low, actually. Uh, so, yeah, you find your packaging, and then I guess the next thing is design. Well, naming, actually. Yeah. So you need to name it. Well, we usually name it before we go to packaging. Yeah, I usually name all of our products. I think Jen's named one. She's not very good at this. She's just laughing and keeping quiet. I've named one of them, actually. I just named our new one, which you'll see. Do you want to reveal the name? Okay, you guys. Exclusive reveal on the podcast. Wait, drum roll. You guys ready for this? It's called Pizza the Action. Woohoo! <laughs> it's really cheesy, but it kind of works. How cheesy, get it? Oh yeah, oh, I did God. that deliberately. I know um, it, it works as a product, uh, but you'll you'll see it's basically a pizza seasoning. Um, so you just make everything taste like pizza, mm-hmm. which is good. Make your pizzas taste better. Yeah, just makes your life life better than it was before. So uh, yeah, there's that, but. Um, design yeah you have well you have to name it so we we have a little a couple of little naming conventions like we have our mythical creatures thing that we do for the hot sauces and we have apparently puns is now i think yeah just like whimsical stupid things <laughs> apparently. it's not really a pun i mean the good bagel isn't a pun it's just like good and bad bagel yeah yeah it's just i don't know we haven't it was a bit of an accident like we said before we we didn't think they would no. blow up <laughs> No. Um, so, yeah, then design. We're lucky, I guess, because we've got soft shock design. I swear this, pod- I swear this podcast is just me promoting Luke, but my friend, my good friend Luke, is a great designer and illustrator. So we pay him, but not as much as we would pay someone because he's very kind. Um, yeah, and he likes our product. A stranger, and he does, he does enjoy it as well. He enjoys doing the design. So he does ours. If you don't, I guess there's the option of... Um, do it yourself, a eh? if you which good, we yeah. did. Uh, our first few sources I designed myself. They weren't anywhere near as good as what Luke do- does, but you know they were good enough to sell. Um, or you pay a designer. And there's yeah. a few options for that. You can go with someone on like Fiverr or something, but it's usually a bit of a risk. Uh, Fiverr is a website online that you can get. Um, cheaper designers generally or you just get designers but because it's people from all over the world um they basically leverage the currency difference yeah uh or you can pay someone more money but generally i would recommend paying a designer to do it if you can because it does make a lot of difference as far as layout and things goes like that oh yeah we just got our um got a ranch label redesigned which he already designed it's already great but we just got it redesigned to like fit the new aesthetic we're going for and it looks great yeah and it's something that we couldn't have done because yeah i guess that's the other thing when you're thinking about uh labeling and design is you're probably better at this because you like all that nerdy stuff oh god where do you where's the best place and how do you find out what what to put on your label and what the rules are, and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a government site. I don't know the exact address, but it's under gov.org. 
or UK whatever mm. and you just if you just google like food labeling standards England you should get to that site and the most important stuff is that you have to declare your allergens mm-hmm. and make sure you point them out um and then any claims you may make you have to be able to back up so you can't Substantiate, just yeah. can't just say oh this is environmentally friendly or whatever because you have to actually have the paperwork to prove that you need to ha- declare all your ingredients yeah. and the way like there's certain like font size limits and things and it all says that yeah and not so much for seasonings and i don't know if sources are partially exempt as well but um nutritional info you you have to display most of the time there is a bit of a gray zone because if you sell under a certain amount a year and if you're like a considered a very small local business you don't you're exempt from having to display but um i think it's just best to do it there's a lot of websites that can help you with working it out theoretically some people choose to get it um to a lab and actually get yeah. an analysis same with sort of shelf st- stability mm-hmm you can do your own what's it called an autoleptic auto, something it's like this i don't know the word it's like a test where you just keep um, a sample of your own source yeah and then you keep it however you recommend to store it and then you taste it periodically yeah. to see if it a goes off or if it um declines in flavor so there's a this is very nerdy but there's a difference between um, an expiration date and a best before date a best before date just says it's still safe to consume after this date but the quality cannot be guaranteed to be the same as point of purchase whereas an expiration date means after this date is no longer safe yeah. to consume so that's those are two things that you do need to think about in order to be um legal but it's actually what surprised me when we first launched our sources the barrier to entry is actually quite low in the sense that you don't have to have a full nutritional table on there. You don't have to have all of that stuff. You just have to have the allergens. You have to have the amount. You have to have the address of the business that's manufactured it. You have to have, um, I think that's most well, of it. Well, the, the amount of product. Best before that. The amount of product and they're the main things and then beyond that all the other stuff that you see companies have is is like added bonuses like nutritional info is mainly um you'd require that if you wanted to get stocked in a big retailer because they'll they'll require those things but actually just to sell online you don't have to have all of the things you would have if you wanted to go in tesco's for example or something like that no um actually a good thing to do is um if you are worried about your labeling um, send your label to the Department of Environmental Health in your council and they often give you yeah. free advice and they'll say, oh, this isn't right or this is not up to standard. So, I mean, the first step, and if you do want to become a food business, is to contact your council and say, hey, I want to be a business, come and inspect me because you have to register as a business and then they come to your wherever you manufacture and they give you a food hygiene rating and you have to do a course and all that stuff. So that's always the first step. But once you have a relationship with your environmental health officer, they can give you um, advice. They can also help you to find grants and things. Yeah. So helpful. Yeah. Our local council's been all right, actually, haven't they? Yeah. Where we are. So, right, you've got a designer to design it. You've got a name. You've got all your, like, your nutritional info on there if you want to. Uh, there's actually that site, the site that I'm using at the moment. It's called Alacalc. Mm-hmm. So I've been using for um, nutritional info. You basically input the recipe and it pulls on a load of the uh, food database analysis of the individual 
items in there and it'll give you a nutritional spit out a nutritional info for you um so there's kia's tip and jen's tip previously for something else um but uh and then what you're at you're pretty much you've got to get those labels made yeah there's loads of different printers i mean we we are currently kind of looking at other printers we've been with the same printing place for ages but i'm not going to recommend them here because they they've been all right but they haven't been like oh my god amazing Mm. so just like you know google is going to spit out a load of places so often they will have free um like what are they called sample packs Mm -hmm. and they'll send you like an envelope full of um test labels so you can see the quality and you can see what kind of finishes they do before you order and they do that for free like i haven't really seen a site that doesn't do that so i would do that just pick like three or so that you like the look of order the sample pack and then put in an order and then we had a few times that our printers mess ours up and they're usually quite good with um you have to send it back but they'll reprint it for you for free so yeah one time i was printed ours wrong twice in yeah. a row. Yeah, both times it got approved. I don't know why. And they literally come on a roll that says approved. Yeah. And I was like, if you'd actually approved this, you'd have seen the massive blob, mis- blob that you've randomly put on my design. Yeah, uh, so... Yeah, so that's, but that's, that's pretty easy, I think. And then you can compare your prices and stuff. Um, and again, printing is kind of stupid, like everything else. But if you order like 100, it might cost you 20 quid. And then if you order 200, it's like 21 pounds, 10. Oh, yeah, and then you order like 2,000 and it's oh, 25 pounds. It's like every every time I'm on that site and they, and they give it to you like in stages. So I'm like, oh, you know, I want to get like 500 or something like that. And then you're like, oh, I'll get 600. Oh, it's only a few more quid to get 700. And then before I know it, I'm, I've got like 3,000 in yeah, my basket. Yeah, that's what we got last time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I literally did, yeah. Buy 3,000 last time. So, um, so, yeah, they get you. They get you like that. But, you know, it does make sense. If you can afford to invest, economies of scale with printing is definitely a massive Even thing. though I wouldn't recommend it at first because we, like our first designs, we only sold a few hundred and then we changed designs and we changed designs again. Yeah. And another tip, can't stress it enough, just double, triple, quadruple check your labels before sending them to print. Because, I yes. mean, we've really tried. We've tried, but we... I think nearly every time we Nearly send every time. Yeah. Even last time, like this week, I sent in some more offer to get printed and I noticed a typo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like we hadn't updated our address to the new address. And that's a pain. Luckily, I course it because I send you proofs, so... Yeah, just double, triple, quadruple checks. It's so annoying when you get it wrong. We've had to relabel entire batches of. Yeah, especially stuff. the important bits. Like, just I know it's really boring, but triple, quadruple. Get some other people to check your ingredients. Cross check with your ingredients list. Check the nutritional info, like allergens. Make sure they're bold when you say allergens and bold. That's the most important bit. If you got a typo in your description, I mean, it's it's annoying, but at least it's not. Yeah, it's not. The it's end not. Of the world. You're illegal. not going to get in trouble. Yeah. If you send someone like a thing and you don't list an allergen and they take it and they have an anaphylactic shock, uh, then you've got a court case on your hands. Yeah, your public liability is not going to like you very much. Yeah, so so is that right? You send your labels off, you get them printed, they come back, and that's my favourite bit. When you've got the thing, you've manufactured it and you put that label on for the first time, you're like... Now this is a product. It is weird. I remember when we first did our gift set and put a bottles in the gift set and it just looked legit. I was like, you could go in the shop and buy that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like that. That's fun. I'm looking forward to it because we've got a new, mm. some new labels coming next week for a new product. And I'm pizza like, the action. Yeah, pizza, pizza the action. Pizza, pizza, the action. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, that's the fun bit. And then I guess from there you've got your product. Just flog it, mate. <laughs> Take yeah. pictures, all that kind of I mean, stuff. I guess that's, that's the next whole... point. Like you can sell it online. You can sell it. You can try and get yeah. listed. That's probably another one for another episode. You should write it on your list. Yeah, I will. How do I My sell imaginary stuff? List. I um, guess the last point of this episode could be like getting feedback. What do you mean? Like, getting feedback on the product. Yeah, so you put a product out and you're really happy with it. But then until you've actually... Because we've gotten feedback on like our packaging before where we've got this review on Amazon where someone really doesn't like our bagel packaging mm. because they find the holes are too large. Yeah. Which I understand it's just not something we can change right now. But those might be things that you can change or want to change. So they say like you can't see the forest for all the trees or whatever. And it's like the same when you make a product and you just taste it all day, see it all day, and then you just love it. And then you might miss the fact that this is a really impractical bottle. This is a very, like mm. the size is not right. I made a super hot sauce in a 500 milliliter bottle. Maybe yeah. this is not right. So I think that's probably the last bit. Like, some people will give you kind of mean feedback that isn't helpful, but if you get the same feedback often and in a kind way, then it might have some merit. Well, and even before you get to that point, ask your mates to try it out. Oh, yeah, definitely. When we were launching our custom hot sauce service, we uh, printed off a few few things and sent them to some mates for free, and they did actually spot a couple of things. So one of them was the the way that we printed the labels. If mm there was like condensation it would even though we'd fixed the ink it would run so we and that led us to change the kind of the way that we printed the labels and they're much better now so it does work get some feedback from your mates before you put it out if you really want to be extra careful but my advice would be and i guess this is a good way to round up take things try not to do what i do try not to keer kemp it that's what we call rushing into things uh, without thinking because that's what I do all the time um, take things a step at a time and check your work at each point ask for feedback and then when you're happy get it out there um, but you know don't don't be too hesitant because also you can you can change stuff yeah they always say the one day or day one like you can always say oh I'll, I'll do this product one day yeah. but just sometimes you just have to get out there get out there but don't order 5,000 <laughs> unless you're absolutely sure that it's going to be yeah, right. <laughs> start small and then you can always reorder. So that's it. That's Keir and Jen's last tip. Start <laughs> small and version one rather than version none. Get it Ooh. out there. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yes. This actually turned out to be more like a how-to episode than a this is how we do it. That's but, it. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Cue the, the jingle. jingle. Right.